This week on Kettle of Fish, actor Christina Lee stops by to talk about high school drama, bathing single, and vegan videos. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. All righty, guys, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the fun, no, well, I can't say no politics anymore, but the show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, models, and soon-to-be astronauts about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you, as always, from the very top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee, and I also want to introduce my freedom-fighting, kid-uniting, family-reconciling producer, the conscious to my outrage, the compass to my moral center, the action plan to my sporadic thought process, the maven Love it. Love it, love it. Though, uh, point of fact, or point of order, I think that's what they call it, um, we're technically not at the top of Meth Mountain. We're, we're somewhere in between the bottom and the top, but we're not technically at the top. Not that it really matters. That's not what it's called anyway. I mean, you know, nobody cares. Never mind. <laughs> Where are you going days. with this? I don't you know. You are just pissing uh, all over my <laughs> birthday cake here. What is no. happening? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just needed that. Anyway, um, yes. So because I'm sure this will be up before it's over, um, I just want to give my little spiel really, really quick. Tomorrow, uh, Saucy and I will be fasting for 24 hours to support breakbreadnotfamilies.org. I think it's .org. Um, they are encouraging people for 24 days. People are picking 24 hours to fast. I know today Evan Rachel Wood is going to be out in McAllen. Um, to join in the festivities, which I was kind of excited about. I was like, hey, yay. Um, and basically you take the money that you would have spent on food for that day and you donate it at um, breakbreadnotfamilies.org and they use that to help protect and assist um, the families down at the border who are being broken apart and just put basically through hell. Um, and I just think it's really important. Amen. So we are not going to yeah. eat tomorrow. And about 10 hours in, I'm probably going to have to drink myself unconscious to be able to deal with not <laughs> eating. I don't think I've ever not ate for 24 hours, I, which shows you how fucking entitled I am. I, in right. first world I, I'm yeah. sure that I have. It's probably just been quite a while, but we're prepared. I bought um, a case of Propel and some electrolyte beverage additive stuff because normally I'm fine but if my electrolytes get screwed up I'm just miserable to be around so I think that's definitely to help us almost defective you're like a defective robot I am I I hangry is not Steam coming out of your ears and walking all disconjointed yes hangry is not the word so definitely go check out breakbreadnotfamilies.org um and check out the festivities that you can you know if you're close enough to mcallen go um if not then you know do like us and just fast for 24 hours and make it mean something Indeed. All right, let's get our co-host in here. A girl who speaks her mind, pushes her body, and feeds our souls with an open heart, all while going through her own personal hell. Fern Hart, what a week it's been, huh? 
Oh, dude. Dude, this has been, like, such a week. Like, I, you know, I want to start out, I'm, I'm actually a pretty private person when it comes to my personal life, but I do, I've, I've thought long and hard about this, and I do want to let our listeners know how important it is to have your checkups and make sure that you're on top of things. This week, I got irregular pap smear results, which I have never, ever in my life gotten. Um, I went in for a coposcopy. They found some abnormal cells, which should be pretty, pretty cake, pretty easy. Uh, he didn't find much. Um, I had a biopsy. We'll get the results back. But it's very important to stay on top of your health, women, men, all of you. Just stay on top of it. Don't push it the off. Don't push thing it to the is side. You've never been healthier than you are right now, at least not in the last 10 years. That's true. I, you know, I've lost 25, 30 pounds. Um, I've been exercising like crazy. My, my lady at the Y is turning me into a water aerobics freak, and I love it. Um, I am in better shape at 40 years old than I was at 30 years old. And then, you know, I've gone through some personal struggles with my family and cancer. And then this came down and I was like, man, dude, like you got to be kidding me. So just make sure you go get it checked. Everything that I have, I think I've caught very, very early and should not progress. And they'll keep an eye on it. If it does, they'll take care of it. But just Definitely get that checked. And on another serious subject, because you guys did inspire me, and by the way, fasting for a day for me sometimes is not a big issue, so I'll definitely be checking out this organization. Sometimes you don't eat for 36 hours, and you're like, oh, shit, dude, I got to go eat. I haven't eaten since, like, noon on Tuesday. Yeah, I just forget, and I'm busy, and I'm like, I don't have time to stop. I, I try to keep avocado in my fridge. That way I have something to eat, you know, that's quick and easy and healthy. Um, but there is an organization out there from the United States Department of Agriculture as well, and this is for summer meals for children under 18. They're free meals. Um, there's a lot of people out there who cannot, just cannot afford it. So if you go to www.fns, which is the Food and Nutrition Service, .usda.gov, you can find summer food trucks and summer meals for kids uh, during the summer. That way you know, they might be able to help you out. So I w- that was yes. kind of an inspiration from y'all's post, but definitely check that out as well. Yeah. And, and you know, quick, today... Well, yeah, I was I'm just going to say that um, a lot of the school systems do participate in this program. You may need to actually go to the school, but um, like at least locally, they actually go to where kids are. So a lot of the housing projects, they have meals delivered every day. Um, The swimming pools, they go there. The splash pad type places. Um, Normally a child 18 and under can receive the meal for free. They do have to eat the majority of it there um, because of food safety issues. But an adult can typically purchase a meal for under $3. And it is a complete meal with a good source of protein whole grains fruit fresh fruits and or vegetables the whole bit good stuff very sweet you know i was gonna take a moment too and complain about the social media drama i had this week with all these fucking trump dudes but after what you've been through fern i would be ashamed to even complain about that but what's going on in the border and what you've been through that's just kind of petty stupidness at this point well, I mean, I think I think it's all subjective, right? I mean, everybody goes through their struggles. Sometimes they're bigger. Sometimes they're not as big. But what's important to one person cannot be relegated by another as unimportant. So, I mean, you've been under an immense amount of stress, an immense amount of pressure, an immense amount of emotional strain, and that's very valid, very valid. 
Well, I do like the idea that a little pussy snowflake libtard like me can be reported for bullying somebody on a comment thread. Just because I'm like, dude, nobody wants to talk to you because they know you're just going to scream fake news and deep state conspiracy in their face. That's why no one's answering you, not because you're proving anything. Right. And I got reported for bullying. Well, I'm not even going to go into it. Let's end, Let's wrap this part up on a positive note. In the intro, and I said, and soon to be astronaut. Why did I say that? Who do we have coming on the show? I think Monday we're recording with her. Well, because you're so excited um, yes, we are having the, probably the first astronaut chick I've, I've ever heard of. Um, and she's an artist. She does art while yes, in space. That's where I was going. Um, the first astronaut, um, painter who I've ever heard of, um, that would be Miss Stott, uh, will be joining us. And I'm kind of kind of excited. I'm excited, right, Fern? Because we thought we were going to get a really big-name astronaut on here for months, and just we couldn't get the schedules together. And of the list of, like, magicians and models and scientists, this whole list of different people I wanted to talk to, the last, like, dragon to slay, the last castle to conquer was astronaut. And, Fern, here we are. We're finally going to have an astronaut yes. on the show. Oh, dude, you know this tickles my nerd brain. I mean, the last time we had a real uh, a real guest on that tickled my nerd brain was Dr. Ronald Mallet when we talked time travel. And, you know, having an astronaut on and an artist at the same time, I mean, this tickles both sides. An artist of brain, not? So. An artist not. An, an, an ast asterisk? I, I don't even, I can't, I, I can't attempt that right now. My brain's too fried. Yes. Artist right. not Nicole Stott. It, it rhymes. There you go. Oh, I have to write a rap about it. Perfect. All right. Let's get moving on to our guest because I know we've got things to do. She has things to do. Today's guest is someone I admire as an actor, as a writer. But more importantly, I admire her as a fucking human being. She played Emily Valentine on 90210. She has an incredible vegan cooking channel called Delightful, Delicious, The Lovely. Say that three times real fast. Right. Um, she has been acclaimed on the film festival circuit for her short bathing in a single girl, which is now a full length book you can purchase on Amazon. She swears like a sailor, but has a punk rock heart of gold. The always outspoken Christine Elise. Christine, how you doing? <laughs> That's quite an intro. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? We are doing great this Sunday morning, and let me tell you, we've got a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. Um, before we kind of jump into this staggering career you have, and it just runs the creative spectrum from writing, directing, acting, comedy, everything, I want to dig a little bit into politics and how being a creative entity, and I have a lot of respect for people like you, um, James Morrison, Jasper Cole, all people that put themselves out there. And you're out here doing your creative thing, and the easiest thing I feel like in the world would, for, would be just for you to do your art, entertain, create, and leave the politics out of it. But you draw a line. You're always outspoken. You get on Facebook every day, every other day. I see just these incredible political posts come across your feed. And I kind of want to know in this toxic world of just being attacked by like militant Trump trolls and shit like that, how do you balance – what you're going to say politically online and put yourself out there against like the real world ramifications of fucking up and saying the wrong thing and having someone try to burn your career to the ground. 
Well, um, I live in Los Angeles, and this industry tends to be pretty left-wing. Um, you know, can you guys hear me? My phone's connection always really sucks. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, loud and yeah, clear. Yeah, you're good. All right, great. Um, you know, when Trump, the, the biggest celebrity Trump could get was Scott Bayo. you know that it's not a hotbed of Trumpism in this town. Right. So I'm not concerned. I have the luxury of not having to be really concerned about that. Um, other than that, I don't, I mean, I don't really do anything. I don't balance anything. I say what I feel. I feel like it's my right to, I feel like it's important to nowadays. I think that what's happening in this country is unprecedented. And I know that the Nazi, you know, comparison has always been, has been thrown around for decades in both directions. Uh, I think cavalierly, uh, to the detriment of the situation we have now, we really do have a fascist regime taking over the country with right down to prison camps and secreting away. I mean, kids are being disappeared in the middle of the night and, and laws are being uh, ignored. I, I can't imagine that it's legal to take somebody's kid and lose it. I mean, I don't know how this is happening in this country, and, I, and I, it's shocking. But it's the one millionth shocking thing that's happened in this administration, and each thing is more shocking than the next. And I'm embarrassed that I thought that, you know, Mitt Romney or John McCain, although John McCain did come with Sarah Palin, um, that John McCain or Mitt Romney would be the end of the world as we know it. What That seems histrionic now compared to Trump, where it really does seem like the end of the world as we know it. And there, there's also a good component of that, if you can find any good component in it, is that now we kind of know, right? So when Trump leaves, however he leaves office, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of chaos, even if he has a heart attack, people will be like, oh, the deep state fucking yeah, gave him a heart right. attack through some pill. Like, right. at least we know now. And at least when the next John McCain runs for office, we won't be running around with our hair on fire going, oh, my God, this is, is going to be World War II yeah, all over what? again. John McCain can't win now. John McCain could not win now. He's too moderate to win now. Well, he couldn't win the Republican Ronald nomination. Reagan couldn't win. Ronald Reagan couldn't win the nomination now. You know, they're all too left wing for. And, and the left wing is, in order to meet to the right wing somewhere in the center, the left has become the center. There's no left wing. I mean, Bernie Sanders is as left wing as this country. I love when they go, well, there's crazies on the left too. And you ask them who they mean. Who's the crazy on the left? And they say Rachel Maddow. You know, yep, she's yep. not crazy. She's not crazy. She's not the equivalent of, of Rush Limbaugh and, or Donald Trump or anybody that's mainstream Fern. Republican right now. Fern, how many times have I said to you, I've even had this argument with Kenny. I was like, oh, oh the both sides are the same. Cool. So who's the left wing Alex Jones? Um, what's a left wing conspiracy right. theory? I hate this fucking false equivalency yeah. that the, both sides are are just as bad, right, Fern? There's bad people it, on both sides. You have crazy people, too, and we fucking don't. Yeah, and, you know, it's really sad, too, because you, you can't say that somebody who robbed a bank is the same person as somebody who raped and murdered their fucking family. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the same. Are they both crimes? Yes. Are they both kind of shitty, that what they're doing? Yes, but one is far worse than the other. They are not equitable. It's just like the people okay, who say that climate you, change... What, what, what shitty shit is going down on the left? I'm just saying, just some of the things <laughs> that are put out there, they are not nearly as viscerally hateful. And I totally agree that on the left, they have a, an amount of candor and amount of tact that the right lacks severely. And it, it's like when I people mean, say, that, oh, climate change doesn't exist. 
you have four people, four scientists who are bought off by oil companies that say climate change doesn't exist, yet you have over 20,000 scientists and reports saying that it does exist and this is a problem we need to take care of, yet they put it on an equitable plane and it's not equitable. No, Furthermore, they, I think Kasich, Kasich though, Kasich would have done well and you're right, a, a moderate's going to have a hard time. I think a lot of independents and some of the rational Republicans would be grateful to have more of a moderate. But Kasich at the time could have done well against Hillary Clinton just because of everything that went down with it's Walter Trump and the DMC. And with, Kasich yes. is a fucking asshole, too. Kasich's a fucking asshole, too. He's better than Trump, but then everybody is. Any, you, everybody on earth is better than Trump. Yes. Uh-huh. As far as the like climate change, et cetera, and, and the right is still investigating Hillary's fucking emails. Literally, they're still having hearings about it on the floor. Instead of this stuff that's happening at the, happening at the border, and I have got a friend, an an absolutely intelligent, lovely person that I love, I've known him for twenty five years, who voted for Trump, and then I said, "How can you vote for someone who doesn't believe in climate change? Like, just try to be something that's not even an emotional issue." And he said, because he must watch Fox News, he came back to me and told me that there was three scientists that were asked a single a single yes or no question, and that is the basis for climate change. Uh, fear is this these three or four scientists that were asked a single yes or no question he believes that he said it to my face that that's how climate change has, you know hysteria has arisen is from this one yes or no question but that's why what you're fuck, doing is so important because you have a broad platform and you're out there speaking i know there's a lot of people like just shut up and act just stay in your lane and that nothing pisses me off more when people say that yeah but you've got a platform and i respect the fact that you're out there speaking because we've had a lot of people on the show i've asked them hey i know you've got to have political opinions why don't you put yourself out there and they're like i just don't need the headache they don't need the headache and don't give me too much credit because anytime a single trump person fucking pipes up on my page i block them so I'm I'm preaching to the choir on my page. I'm I, I'm no I'm no vigilante out here, you know, or you know, uh, you know, warrior fighting the cause. I'm talking to the, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm expressing rage, uh, totally in an impotent way. I I I if I, I can't fight with them because you can't convince them of anything because they either they either. So you're saying it's it's fake news? Like I saw pastors on the news this week saying they didn't believe the kids were being separated from their families. These are pre, you know pastors being questioned. It's fake news. I don't believe it's happening. So if somebody is going to come at you with Fox fake with genuine fake news, that's the great irony. They actually are watching fake news, and they come at you with these fake Fox facts, and then accuse me of of anything that I when they're confronted with anything that's uncomfortable, they just say it's either it's not it's factually inaccurate or it's you know it's fake news. And I and I'm a fucking liberal, a fucking libtard, and I don't. So I, you you can't you can't win an argument when you have to educate someone first. And well, you can't compete leader. with their reality, and that's the problem. Right. Donnie Deutsch was on Morning Joe this week, and he said. Nobody can feign ignorance no more. Nobody can go into this next election and say, well, Trump's bad on this, this, and this, except or but I'm still going to vote for him because of this policy. And he was like, dude, if you vote for this guy, we don't need to be calling Trump out anymore. Everybody knows what Trump is. We need to be calling out the Trump voter and being like, if you vote for this guy, you're a fascist. You're a racist. You don't give a shit about anybody except for your tribe or your group. That's what this this needs to be a referendum on. But they're not going to be ashamed of that. White supremacy is not ashamed of being white supremacist. You know, they're proud of that. 
you but if you can that, you drive can, them back under the shame. box and make them feel like they have something to lose, they have a platform they, they haven't had in 60 years. If you can make them feel True. like they're going to lose that because everybody is turning their back on them, then maybe yeah. they might be able no. to pull back a little. But that's part of the defensism. Down. Yeah, they have been emboldened, and they are emotionally invested now. And they are not only just emotionally invested in their candidate, but they're emotionally invested in their platform. They have been given a voice that they haven't had for a very long time. So not only are they protecting their candidate, they are protecting their ideology. It's personal to them. And I think logic sometimes does not override emotion. And that's the problem. When you think with emotion and not with logic, that's where you start to wrap yourself up. I mean, if I have a logical thought, I put it out there, I've put a lot of thought into it, I have an opinion, that's not going to change unless I have factual evidence to the contrary that causes me to go, hmm, I didn't think about it that way, let me consider it. But when you go on visceral emotion and reaction, 99.9% of the time, somebody won't remember what they said two years from now because they went on an emotional reaction versus a logical reaction. And that's what a lot of these hardcore right-wing extremists are doing. And, they get, and they're being reinforced by Fox News, which they do believe is a legitimate news source. They don't believe that it's just yeah. a propaganda machine. Well, so these are people who Fox think News National exists. Enquirer is a legitimate news source over the Wall Street Journal. So Right, which is fantastic that, we're get, that, 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 that National Enquirer is being drawn into this whole Michael Cohen-Trump uh, uh, Mueller investigation. The, the National Enquirer is going to be exposed as just being a propaganda tool for the Trump Trump specifically, even even private citizen Trump, they have been a propaganda machine for him. And that's going to come out in this Mueller business. All right. Well, let me shift away from politics or this will be a two hour show, Christine, because me and you and Fern (laughs) could talk about this all day. (laughs) Yes. I want to start off with some 90210. And um, this is the first place you ever popped on my radar as Emily Valentine. And I'm not going to go too deep into this because it's ancient history. And I'm sure you're sick as hell talking about 90210. But I do want to um, bring up something I heard you say in an interview. And I thought it was really cool. I'm kind of going to paraphrase here. The interviewer asked you, hey, you know, when did you consider you made it? Was it when you would like go to the mall and girls would chase you around and go, oh my God, 90210. And you had said something really smart and you were like, you haven't made it when kids at the mall are screaming your name. You've made it when the people whose work you admire want to work with you. And it just reminded me of like your fucking punk rock ethic, your punk rock attitude. It's, you know, it shines through to me. It's encoded on your DNA that it's not about this, this mainstream fame. It's about the work, right? Well, yeah. Mainstream fame facilitates work. I mean, for me, that's never been my goal. My goal was, I didn't even want to be an actor. I, want, I just wanted to be involved in filmmaking because I love movies. And acting was my only way in. Uh, I, I, I moved to LA to, I thought to go to film school and be a director. I went to film school for a year in Boston at BU. And then I moved here just to be a local and get, you know, my feet wet in LA and learn my way around and maybe do internships and stuff. And that's not how it worked out. But yeah, it's definitely for the work. But I would, I, it's not fun to do a lifetime of independent movies that nobody sees and don't pay you anything and live in an apartment in Reseda either, you know, so you, it's, you need a, you need both kind of, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, I've struggled with that too. I don't know how many days I've been like, you know, my buddy Dorsey used to say about my band, you guys would play the opening of an envelope. And that was true in my youth, but now it's to the point it's like, damn dude, I've been doing this five years and I am just now seeing some results from it. So it is a grind. But I think, you know, you grew up in Boston. You have a punk rock ethic. And I think that's 
it really shines through. I'll give you an example. I remember when I saw you on Beverly Hills, I was an avid watcher of that show. My friends used to actually make fun of me because I watched that show. And years later, like 2005, 2006, the movie, the documentary, it had Keith Morris from the Circle Jerks and a bunch of cats that I grew up listening to in it called American Hardcore. Me and my buddies were sitting there, came in, I ordered it from fucking Inner Punk, I was all happy. Put it in, me and all my little punk friends are sitting there watching it, and you came across the screen, and I was like, I knew it! I knew it wasn't just a character, I knew she was into punk rock. <laughs> because that ethic shines through, that personality shines through, and in fact, you kind of changed that Emily Valentine character from how it was written, at least stylistically, how it was written, because you have such a presence that seems to be encoded from Boston punk rock and having that harder edge. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. They, the character was initially um, written to be, she was described as basically Julia Roberts, like drop dead gorgeous, stop traffic beautiful, long cascading red curly hair, uh, you know, and rode a motorcycle, played guitar and sang. Um, I went in with Jack Boots. I, I didn't, I, I'm not Julia Roberts. I can't pretend to be, I, I, you know, I don't have that. That's not in my toolkit you know i just don't have that i was right. i was i had short platinum hair with roots and uh and i was me so i went in as me and they changed the character to be me they changed it and uh, they so much so that i can't play guitar or sing or ride a motorcycle so none of that stuff happened anymore after the first episode they took all those traits of hers away because i gotcha. didn't have them um and yeah, I mean, I think I bring a certain edge to everything that I do, which is inherently in who I am, whether that, I think that predated even being punk rock. So it's just sort of who I am and uh, yeah, full stop. Well, it's kind of amazing to me, right? Because I'm looking back at your career and just to kind of put it in perspective, nobody gets to where you are without a lot of hard work. But there also seems to be kind of this like Billy Idol charmed life thing where people take an immediate liking to you. I had read like Carol O'Connor and he did a night. I think that's the name of his show. Took a yeah. like an immediate liking to you. You're the only one who called him Carol. And Aaron Spelling, like we just talked about, kind of catered to roll more around your style and your edge. Do you think having that edge and just just putting it all out there and not caring about like being proper or any kind of pre like determined attitude like that. Do you think that's been more of like work towards your favor in the industry or do you think your success has been in spite of that? Or has that held you back? Do you feel like? I feel like being who I am has absolutely hurt me. It has not helped me. I think that, I think that Aaron Spelling and Carol O'Connor are unique um, in my career as far as their response to me. They both by coincidence come from old Hollywood, like even during the studio system, they've been around, forever. And I think they appreciate authenticity when they see it. They also, I think I, I tend to have a foul mouth even in, and I don't spare really anyone. I don't spare grandmothers. I don't spare, I didn't spare Carol O'Connor uh -huh. or even Aaron, but I think that they're intelligent enough to know that and, and respect my intelligence enough to know that my language was not disrespectful, never disrespectful. It was just colorful uh, and not a result of a, a lack of better words to use, like a lack of a better vocabulary, which people often are accused of. Um, my vocabulary is, I, I, I'm pretty, I, I stand behind my vocabulary. I think I have a pretty solid one. Um, but those guys, uh, I think this respond, responded to authenticity. Um, 
in general, though, that has very much worked against me. Um, but typically in my career, first of all, I don't think I'm nearly as successful as you see, as you're painting me. I'm not. I'm a struggling working actor. I'm not a household name. I still worry about bills all the time. I lose sleep about money because I'm. It's a fucking grind and hard and I'm 53 and female and that's not legal in this town. <laughs> um, but even when I was younger, the more people involved that the more people it took to make a decision whether I got cast or whether anybody got cast, the more, more cooks, uh, in the kitchen, the less chance I was going to have to get the job. I did well when somebody had deciding power like Aaron Spelling and Carol O'Connor, who were powerful enough to make decisions and trump anybody else around them. Pardon the expression. Wow. Uh, and, 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 and be able to make a decision without anybody else needing to be um, part of it. Um, that was true also with ER. When I got ER, I had already done China Beach. So the people that were doing ER knew me and knew my work. And I happened to think, in my opinion, I've done the best work of my career on China Beach. So they had faith in me and could just push me in and get me that job without having to worry about what the network thought. I work less and less now because um, of the advent of videotape and the Internet. And it used to be that if you had an audition, if anybody anybody involved in making a decision whether you got cast or not had to be in the room, physically in the room to watch you audition, or else they couldn't really have an opinion on whether you were good for it or not. Uh, now, every single audition, whether the people who are making decisions or not are in the room, every single audition is put on tape. And that tape is then uploaded to some site where everybody on fucking earth gets to, ch- to chime in and, and add their opinion to the mix. Everybody at the network, networks are notoriously stupid and bad for the creative process. And so because now I'm in a situation where 50 people can chime in on whether I get the job or not, I don't get the job very often. Well, let me tell you this, and I've got to move on to your vegan videos and your book, but let me end with, like, wrap this part up with this. I'm looking over your IMDb. I think... I think you're being a little bit hard on yourself. You've had, you have, you had, and have an amazing career. And a hundred years yeah. from now, some kid's going to put on like I don't know what the fuck they'll have then holograms, the holograms of nine hundred two one zero or the Chucky movies or of ER, and you're going to be dancing around in their living room. And you have a legacy, and I, I mean, you have a legacy that's light years beyond mine. And I feel lucky, like that I get to do anything, even to talk to you. So I, in my mind, you're a success. I don't want to sound ungrateful. I, I, I'm super grateful for the things that I've been able to do and the things that, especially 90210 and even Chucky, because Chucky promises to continue as a, as a job for me uh, and a family, because those guys are my family, um, to continue. That's a, it's a, all of that's unbelievably awesome and exciting. I'm super grateful. It came to me relatively easily, actually, because I looked so young. I was in my 20s when I decided to be an actor, and I genuinely looked 15. And so and because I was smart and, and sensitive, able to sort of wing my way into being a halfway decent actor, and, uh, and because I was so genuinely different, genuinely different, like not trying to be different, but genuinely different, yeah. I stood out, and, and I, all those kids, those roles of being the tough kid with the heart of gold, like the offbeat tough kid with a heart of gold, those were mine. That's my fucking, that's my sweet spot for work. But that's, that character doesn't exist in her fifties. There is no tough chick with a heart yeah, of gold. Yeah, I get that. In her, and, and if you, everything you've named on my resume is more than 20 years old. If you look at the last 20 years, you can't, you, none of that, you, you've heard of it. This, I did an episode of Law and Order. I did an episode of, you know, things you've heard of, but not a lot of it. Look, you know, the last 20 years has been pretty slim pickings for me. And not a lot of mainstream projects on there. It's a lot of independent stuff. Um, and so while I'm grateful for Child's Play, that $35,000 I made in 1989 is long spent. 
you know? No, no, I mean, I get it, man. I'm <laughs> just so, saying, it's, like, it's I reality. look at your, at your IMDb, and I look at your body of work, and I look at your videos and your book, and we've got to touch on that, so let's not go too far down this rabbit hole. And I go, man, this is a success story. This is someone who came from Boston, out in the punk scene, through, tr- through just pure fucking grit went out yeah. and made this of herself. And I just don't think that can be discounted. It's not about being grateful. It, I just it, don't it, think it, that accomplishment can be discounted. I'm, and I'm totally with you on that. I look at my young self and, I can't, and it was absolutely just pure grit. Um, thank you for that. It was. And when I look at where I moved to LA at 19, didn't know anybody at all in 1984. I didn't know a fucking person out here. I was alone. I cried every day for a year. I worked for two and a half years on Rodeo Drive as a cashier, and I ended up getting into acting just so I couldn't go back to film school. I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't afford it. So, and when I look, and then I, when I look at that, I did Child's Play in 89. That's only five years after leaving Boston. I didn't even want to be an actor when I left Boston. And in five years, I was doing child's play and two years later I was doing 90210 and a year later living with Jason Priestley and like uh, and sort of by association absorbing all of his fame and, and all of the, the 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 good and bad that comes with that level of fame that he had I mean I think of what I from going from 84 to 92 for me fucking insane meteoric that is like winning the lottery level success I totally agree. And then I look at the last 20 years and then I feel frustrated and defeated. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? This is about grit, right? You are not one-dimensional. You are not just Emily Valentine from 1990. Thank you for you well are, stated. You are, so, you are so deep. I mean, you know, your, your cooking videos are amazing. I've been watching those and I do want to touch on something on that. Uh, in a little bit, um, your your independent film and how that came about, and you know what you did, and and it was just like I read an interview where you talked about the process of actually you know getting to the book and how everything kind of cascaded. I mean that's just true grit and your photography. Your photography is amazing, by the way. We haven't even touched on that. But the the thing is, is Christine, you you are so multidimensional, but you talk about that grit, and I'm I'm a New England girl. I'm from Maine. So I'm not far, I I grew up not far from where you grew up. And I find that being in Virginia Beach, which is where I am now, it's a very different world. You know, up north, you have to be tough. You have to have stones. You have to let shit roll off your back. People say anything because they have no filter. And you, you normally just take it in stride and you move on and you just keep grinding it out. And, you know, was your, where you're from up north, like I totally get it. Was that part of that grit and that grind and what makes you so multidimensional? Because you have just, you have gone from one thing to another to another just flawlessly and you have been very eloquent and very awesome at everything that I've seen you do. And I've really dug in, man. Everything that you've done has been amazing as an artist and as a person. Your personality really shines through in everything. So I guess I would ask, does, does that Boston mentality carry over to the west coast and with that that grit and how difficult was it to kind of acclimate to a different environment than where you were originally from boston absolutely defines me um i grew up on welfare like super poor in boston Uh, my dad died a homeless man like i come from nothing uh and so there's a certain amount of grit that's just required to survive that um Punk rock was fantastic for me because it um, celebrated everything that I naturally was, which was outspoken and different. And it, and punk rock sort of celebrated individuality, where 
mainstream high schools were famous for the opposite, you know, for punishing individuality and praising um, generic conformity. Um, so to be pra- to be pra- and the friends that I made in high school in, in punk rock world remain my best my family. They weren't friends that came and went. They're friends that remain in my they're my family. Um, and so to to grow up in a high school, which is such a dangerous time for so many people, it's such a damaging time to have that be the, one of the most empowered times of my life has definitely informed the rest of my life where I don't feel like I need to stand down um, or apologize for myself or when people laugh at me, like I'll post pictures of my punk rock stuff or even actor stuff where people attack me for how I look. It, uh, unless I agree with them, it doesn't hit me. It doesn't hurt because I feel like, like, they, like I had this crazy hairdo in, in high school that was called, it was, a, I had was rockabilly and then my rockabilly thing became a tease. My quiff got too big. I tease it. It was like sort of a, you know, Susie or cramps kind of teased black hair. And then it kind of, the quiff sort of got too tall and fell over. It was like a, like a mohawk that fell on its side and it stuck out the, from the front of my face and everyone was known as the shelf. I look back at the shelf. It's hilarious. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. But I'm actually like, liking I'm the idea. It's fuck. I was proud of it, and I'm proud of it still. Like people, people, they can't believe I have the balls to like post photos of myself in that. I'm fucking proud of what a ballsy, fucking badass I was when I was in high school. Well, let me tell and, you what. Me and my brother both come from McKeesport, Pennsylvania, a dried-up steel mill town. And I'm going to try to say this with some finesse to make it not sound too bad. But he's the kind of guy who went in the opposite. I think this that being poor, growing up on welfare like me and my brother Phil did, it either makes you like him where as soon as he moved in with my dad who lived in D.C. area and had money, he kind of didn't even want to associate himself with that life. He, I remember he would always have a new pair of shoes on. He washed his car like every other day. Presentation and trying to get that you know, environment right. off him was important. Where I embraced it was like, hey, dude, look where I came from and look where I am now. So there's two definite roads you can go down when you come from an environment like that. Yeah, it's weird that I, 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 I was, when I was a little kid, I was chubby, I had glasses since kindergarten, um, and I was poor, so I didn't have the right clothes, and I was, like I said, chubby and had glasses. I had everything wrong, you know? Um, and somehow kids, like, <coughs> even in, like, grammar school, where there are popular kids, I was never outcast by anyone. I did very well with all kids, always, and was always stood up for the underdog, always. Even though I kind of wanted to be invisible, kind of wanted everyone to like me, kind of wish I could buy the, have an IZOD shirt or whatever fucking thing kids were wearing then that I couldn't afford. Uh, I wanted that to fit in initially when I was in grammar school and in middle school. Uh, but on the... The, the biggest insult the person could say to you back then was that you were on welfare. That was like the, like the meanest thing you could say to somebody. And I was on welfare at the time. And so whenever kids I knew would use that to attack another kid, I would say, hey, I'm on welfare and you like me. How are you, do, how, you know, explain that. How Do that math. How are you going to Yeah, that's what I'm talking I about. I didn't use the word reconcile in the eighth grade, but I was bizarrely confrontational when I was not really a confrontational kid about that kind of thing. And like, you like me and I'm on welfare. So being on welfare by definition is not a bad thing. And one time I, I remember my dad was drunk and stumbling down the street, really fucked up. And they didn't know he was my dad. He was falling in people's front yards and they started making fun of this guy. And I was like, Hey, you know, I know that guy. And they're like, no, you don't know. I don't know him really well. No, you don't. I go, he's my dad. That's my oh, dad. Oh man. That is a fucking intense story. Holy shit. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Shamed them. They were just so shamed. I think, and I wasn't even trying to shame them. It just felt like it was a truth that had to be told. 
and they were everyone went home. <laughs> Everybody was so ashamed they didn't know where to look, you know. But that's just who I've always been. So I'm like I, from the womb, like my DNA. I, don't, I can't even. And that shines through. It. That's the whole point I was making with that American um, hardcore reference. Is when I saw you on there, I was like, I fucking knew it. I knew it wasn't just a role on nine zero two one zero. I knew this is who she was because it's so prominent. And there's certain actors and certain performers you can tell what they're all about, even if you've never heard an, a personal. There was no Google. Yeah. A personal. Yeah. With them. All right, I got to move on to your cooking show because we've got to get out of here. Um, okay. Delightful, delicious, the lovely. I can barely make a sandwich. I'm sure Fern and Dee are going to have a lot more to say about this. However, mm-hmm. I I always, when I have a guest on, when I check their stuff out, I check out the comment threads just to kind of see the feedback the everyday person has uh-huh. given. I watched about a half dozen videos. All the feedback is positive. People love this channel. I was telling Fern that. And then she sent me, Fern, you sent me episode 14, and there was this backlash over her yep. top and her saying boobs. Yeah. So yep. outside of that, people love the show. But Fern, what did you think about that when you sent it to me? Because you're like, check this crazy shit out. I sent it to you because I was like, we have got to talk about this. We have to. And when we dig in, we dig in deep. And especially when it comes to cooking, because I've gone low carb, so there's certain things that... I can't do, but there's certain things that I can adjust. Like I'm really, really, really going to try that big Mac, Mac pizza, but I'm going to do it with a fathead dough, which Danielle introduced me to, by the way. Yes. Um, but yeah. yeah, it is. that looks amazing because Big Mac was always my favorite thing, like a Big Mac and fries. I was like, oh, my God, she is my tribe. Um, there's a big but Mac, I, I, actual Big Mac sandwich on the channel, too. The Big Mac sandwich is even better than the Big Mac pizza. Oh, my God. Good. The boob gate. The whole boob yes. gate. And you were just like, hey, you know, I've gotten a lot Can of Can we get that a this. hashtag now? Boob gate. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. Gate, yeah. I remember sitting at a bar one time with a couple of girls that I had just met. I mean, literally, I met them at the bar. And I said something to them. And I can't even take ownership of this. This actually came from The Real Housewives, which is my guilty smut, by the way. Um, and Erica Jane on there had taken back the word cunty. And I was like, you know what, girls? It's okay to say you're cunty. It's okay to say you were cunty once in a while. Take that word back. Because if other people can use it against you, why don't you own it? And you were just like, hey, you guys are giving me flack about saying boobs, 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 happy fun bags, which, by the way, my brother used to say all the time, and I just about died. (laughs) Um, And you're like, yes, I absolutely did say that to get watchers. Because why am I going to make a video if nobody's watching? Sure. But the slut shaming was not okay. But I loved the fact that you took that and you owned it and you were like, absolutely. If other people are going to project their manly or womanly, whatever it is, their aggression towards me and point out my boobs and talk about my boobs, why can't I just own them and say, yes, I'm going to go ahead and say boobs and get watchers. There's nothing wrong with that. I just loved the fact that you owned that. I thought that was beautiful. I sent it to Nick and I was like, we have to talk about this because she is totally taking the power back. And that's what I felt you did. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I got slut shamed because I wore this dress where my boobs looked particularly giant and I didn't really notice how big they looked or how much they were moving around and I was like whisking things and stuff. Like it was, it was, it was boob central. So I, yeah, I thought I was making fun of it really. It's like, who doesn't like boobs? You like boobs? You want to see, you know, How's it from a Hardee's commercial. I see the same shit on a fucking Hardee's commercial. (laughs) I know, but, but I pointed it out and I I try and and first of all, everyone thinks I make a fortune. I haven't made a penny from that channel. The way 
YouTube has things monitored. Even if they did pay me, they only owe, owe me $97 after 115 videos or whatever. Yeah, YouTube but, sucks so it's, now. It, it's not a money-making thing. People think that it is. It's, it isn't for me. I literally, literally have never been paid a cent. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did, I did make fun of the boob thing and, and promoted it with boob, 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 boob. And, and yeah, fuck everybody. Fuck the world. I fuck, I, there's so many rants on that channel. And, I, and by the way, the, the, the comments on my channel tend to be positive, but, my, but when I sort of try to cross promote that channel in, on vegan pages and groups on Facebook, the response is overwhelmingly negative. Well, Facebook and, is a fucking snake pit, so I don't even take it seriously anymore. Well, Anything vegans are particularly negative people too. <laughs> vegans yeah. are particularly militant and, and aggressive and awful. And I've there's at least at least five, if not more, long form rants against vegans on my vegan channel because they're so fucking negative and, and attack me for everything. So you know, I, I fight back because fuck, really, fuck everybody. Very right. well, very well. All right, let's move on to your book. Um, it actually started as a film, a short film, Bathing in the Single Girl. Um, that got parlayed into a book you can get right now on Amazon. But I did have a question about this. Kind of give us a little bit of the background first, because I had a question I thought was intriguing about this. All right, the birth of that is a comedy theater here, right in my neighborhood, called the Upright Citizens Brigade. Used to right. be a theater. It's on it's on in Franklin Village in Hollywood, right near where I live. So the, a couple of years ago, several years ago, ten years ago, there used to be a, sh a running show that would be there every couple of weeks called Four Stories and a Cover, and it was four people who would stand up and read a two thousand word comic, real life comic essay about their lives, um, and then a fourth person would do a funny cover. So four stories and a cover. It was gotcha. genius. I laugh my ass off every time i was jealous of how brilliant all these writers were and my writer friends said oh we should both write a story and submit so i did she didn't i did they accepted my story it was uh it was and, and on the nights that i had to read it they go, there's no title what do you want to call this and i just thought uh, bathing in a single girl i call i'll call it that it went well friends said oh my god it's so funny you should have recorded it because your agents don't think you're funny so then i did it again the naked angels another comedy theater here and taped it and then put that tape on facebook and a friend of the dp was like oh my god it's so funny but it looks really ugly you should make a short film so then i made a short film so the short film is literally verbatim the written stuff that is written to be read to an audience live i didn't change it at all so i had to do it in sort of it's sort of shot i don't know if you've seen it but it's sort of cabaret style it's sort of yeah, yeah. fourth wall so I can break the fourth wall and explain why I'm talking to an audience that is, you know, why I'm not talking to an audience. And then um, that film, I, I, I program film festivals I have for 16, 20 years. And um, I did the film festival circuit with it, did 100 film festivals with it. And at the end of the run, somebody saw it and said, that's really funny. If you can write more stories like that, you should really write a novel. And so I did. <laughs> Here's my question, because from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, researching this, and I did watch the film on Vimeo, um, the stories in the film are true. However, the book itself is a work of fiction. Why the pivot? Why not just make the whole book? Or did you just not have enough stories to fill three or 400 pages for a book? Because I'm not interested in writing a memoir like that that outs people. Oh, um, gotcha, gotcha. And, and real life isn't really necessarily as funny as fiction. There's some stuff, those stories are in there. They're, they're both in the book, but they've been reworked um, so that they're no, no longer really true. They've been sort of, you know, they're, they're in there, but sort of not quite the same as they are verbatim in the movie. Um, and there are other stories here and there that are true or partly true or the true for a friend of mine. Actually, I stole a story from a friend. Um, and, but most of it's it's fiction because I was I'm not a, I, I'm a, I, 
I collect books. I'm a book, I'm a reader. Books are my sort of, I don't want to use the word passion, but book, I've collected books since high school. I collected uh, 30s pulp fiction when I was in high school and um, I gone on to, I collect Bukowski and John Fonte. I have a really significant collection of John Fonte and Charles Bukowski books. So books are the thing that I think are most precious and writing is a skill that I hold most dear. And if I could wave a magic wand and be anything in the world, anything at all, like be the king of England or be whatever the fuck I would be, I would be a very, very successful, like uh, critically and commercially successful author. I wouldn't be an actor. So, and I made my first attempt at writing a novel in the fifth grade, didn't finish it, but I tried. So I knew writing was something I've always wanted to do. So that's, and I, and, and I have been pressed to write a memoir because I have this sort of un- interesting life in that I have this whole punk rock history that is unique. Uh, and then not a lot of people from that world have transitioned into this mainstream world that I'm of acting, you know, Henry Rollins, and but not many, right? Yeah, so, Henry, right. Um, and Lee Ving. And, um, but, and Courtney Love, I guess you could count, but she, I don't know, she's maybe younger than me. But um, anyway, I, I, I don't, I had, and and so this person was pressing me. His name is Paul Rackman, actually. Paul Rackman, who did American Hardcore. So the director of American Hardcore, Paul Rackman, was like, "You need to write a memoir because you have all these great stories." And and the stories, the punk rock stories, I have, I can tell because there's nothing untoward or, or sort of betraying about the stories I would tell from that time. But the, the good stories that I have from my like acting life, my like the, the scandalous stories that I know I have about famous people. And I have a bunch of them. I would never tell them. I'm not that person. I can't do that. Well, you have integrity. You have punk rock integrity. All right. We got to get out of here. I want to do this one last thing. Because okay. okay. I read somewhere in an interview with you that you had written an episode. And you wrote a few of the episodes of 90210. But this particular episode you, you um, wrote, Donna dreamt that the cast, the kids from 90210, were trapped on Gilligan's Island. And, of course, yeah. the episode never happened because Sherman Schwartz wouldn't release the rights to do it. I think he had his own thing going on. But I kind of wanted to run this by you, and you tell me how off base I am. I'm going to tell you who I think played what character on Gilligan's Island, and you could tell oh. me if I'm on base. Do you okay. even remember? I'm not sure I remember. Uh, let me try to write this down. So that we, have, I mean, we have Dylan, and we have Brandon, and we have Steve. Bri- uh, Brian, Steve, and Donna. we have... Who's Andrea? Who's Brian? David. And then we have Donna. We have Kelly. Andrea. Andrea and, Bre- and Brenda. Now, let me tell you who All I right. guessed was who. All right. I knew that Dylan and Brandon had to be the top two characters. I thought Dylan would be better playing like the schmuck. So I have here Dylan is Gilligan, Brenda is Skipper, Steve is Mr. Howe, Donna as Mrs. Howe, Brenda as Mariana, Andrea, of course, the professor. Kelly is ginger, and then you like fucking crash land on the island, and you're like the person who comes and disrupts everything. Am I pretty close? No, not at all. Emily didn't make an appearance at all. So let's see what you got right. Uh, Kelly for sure was ginger. Donna was Marianne. Okay. Andrea is Mrs. Howell, obviously. She's a brain. Uh, I thought she would be the professor. No, the professor's going to be a dude. So then I'm going to make... I'm going to make David has to be Gilligan. Okay. He's going to be the skipper. Dylan is the professor and Brandon is Mr. Howell. Who, what other female is there? There's only three, three women on the island. Yeah. Three women? 
There's only that's why I thought maybe you like crash landed on there, like in some band, like the way outs or whatever, and you were there. Well, to that was the episode everybody. that I was doing. Was it the the when the that British band gets trapped? You seen the Gilligan's Island episode where the the British band, the mosquitoes? Yeah, I was raised by trapped. a TV when I was a kid. I've seen all the Gilligan's Islands multiple. So times. it was the mosquitoes. It was the mosquitoes episode I was going to do. So a band gets stuck on the islands uh, with them. I don't know. He's only three women now. It's Donna. It's, it's not Donna. It's Ginger, Marianne, and Mrs. Howell. That's it, right? That's it. I guess Brenda was SOL. <laughs> yeah. I, I was but, uh, way, way off base. I'm usually pretty good at that. All right. We know. Maybe, um, was, maybe she was in France at the time. <laughs> that's true. Well, this was second season. I think she was still evolved in a show pretty heavily it wasn't right. second it wasn't second season it was further along oh was it okay got you got to all right she might have been gone by that point we got to get you out of here i want to thank right, you right. so much for spending oh geez almost an hour with us please tell Thanks everybody where we can find your book your photography your cooking channel give us all things i'm christina lease all over the interwebs all right so bathingbook.com like take a bath bathingbook.com is kind of one-stop shopping. You can get my book there. You can watch the movie there and all of my social media, my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all those accounts are linked there. Um, my Instagram account is Christina Lee McCarthy. Um, the cooking show is delightful, delicious, so lovely. You can get to it by going to videovegan.com. That will take you to the YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, and that's that. That is it. I want to thank you so much. I want to say so one much. final thing. I want to say, I want yeah, to say yeah. one final thing because the show's called Kettle of Fish and it just hit me, my funny bone, because I don't know if you watch Modern Family. Modern Family is probably the only American show that I'm obsessed with. Yeah, no, I um, don't watch it. It's great, but th- there's a little kid on it. A little, His name is Manny, and he's very, uh, he's kind of like Frasier. He's, like he's, he's like a 10-year-old Mexican version of Frasier, you know, very erudite and, um, and sort of fancy. And he's running for school office for class president and they accuse him of being too fancy for his kids and he says i can't believe you think i can't i relate to my peers that's a fine kettle of fish that's actually that saying is where (laughs) i got the name of the show from i thought it was kind of a throwback oh speaking of legacy we're going to end this episode with dys wild card and that was actually part of that song was actually written about you correct which I learned, because somebody, I assume Jonathan Anastas, put that on my Wikipedia page. I found out that by reading it on Wikipedia, and then I looked up the lyrics, and of course, one of the verses makes sense, and it's about me. Um, and then the drummer in the, in the new the new incarnation of, of DIYS, DIYS, the drummer is one of my very, very, very good friends. I mean, in fact, Dave Smalley is too. Dave Smalley is, is family. And, yeah, but, I love uh, Dave. I but Al Pahanish used to be the drummer in Power Man 5000 and is the drummer for DYS. I confirmed through him that, in fact, that that's what that, that is. So, yes, it is true. Yes, it is true. Did you say you had Dave Smalley in there already or you're going to? Uh, we've had Dave Smalley on the show a couple times. I love Dave. I do a music show and I have a lot of punk bands go through there. So, yeah, I know Dave. I was in a um, Down by Law video. Really? About 1995, yeah. If you look up Down by Law on YouTube, I, it's... It's when I was doing ER, um, so probably ninety five or ninety five or ninety six. Um, but yeah, if you look up, I forget what the song is called, but I'm in it. Yeah, down by law, Dag nasty, all. I'm a big fan of all his work. All right, we've got to get out of here. I know you got to get out right. of here. Thank all you right. again, Christine, for calling Thank in. You. All right, bye Thank guys. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye bye.